Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Advent is a Latin word that means coming. It is a four-week season that calls us to prepare to celebrate of the coming of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah tells us to clear the way so that we can welcome and receive God's promised Savior, Christ the Lord. In Isaiah 40, 43 through 5, the prophet writes, A voice cries out, Prepare in the wilderness a road for the Lord. Clear the way in the desert for our God. Fill every valley, level every mountain. The hills will become a plain, and the rough country will be made smooth. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and the people will see it. The Lord himself has promised this. As we light the first Advent candle, let us remember to trust in the Lord's promises. The first Sunday in Advent is the Sunday of hope. We light the prophecy candle to open the period of waiting for the birth of Christ. The candle reminds us of the light of hope spoken of by the prophets who foretold of a Messiah who would bring peace and love to the world. Good morning, everybody. So great to see you. So I got some new glasses. I'm, uh, I've never had glasses before, so I'm seeing things that I've never seen before. Uh, for instance, a little older, a little nerdier, but I think it's working for me, right? Uh, for instance, some things I've noticed. I think Sarah Page might be pregnant. You know, I, I just noticed. I think it's true. I'll have to talk with her after the service. Um, also, you guys are looking good. I mean, real, like Tony Robbins good. Really, really good. Here we are in December. Can you believe it's December already? Uh, it just seems like December always sneaks up on us. And so we are officially in the Christmas season now. And for some of us, the Christmas season is the hap, hap, happiest time of the year, right? We love Christmas, but for others, this season is a little more challenging than some of the other seasons, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it is the the busyness, the frantic pace that seems to descend upon us in this season, all the things that we need to do, decorations, getting the house ready for the in-laws, decorating the tree, finding that perfect gift and sending it writing Christmas cards and sending them, 
feeling guilty about not writing Christmas cards and not sending them, right? Are you there? Yes, I know. Good thing there's a, you know, the e-cards that you can do. Last minute, right? But let me tell you, there must be another way. There must be a simpler way that brings us into focus with the true meaning of this season. The fact that Jesus Christ has come into the world in the form of a little baby to save us from the brokenness and the sin and the death that is all around us. That's the true meaning of this season. And we need to reorient ourselves with that, don't we? In the midst of all of the frenzy. And so what I would like to do over the next four weeks is I would like to invite you into a season where we are going to be looking at the simple gifts that God has given us in Jesus, the gift of hope, peace, love, and joy. Okay? And today, we're going to be looking at hope and what that means. The hope of Jesus come to us as a gift from God. And let me begin by talking a little bit about hope. What is hope exactly? Hope is power, isn't it? There's something powerful about hope that enables us to walk into any situation, as dire as it might be, and regain a sense of perspective that is positive, right? We can see the silver lining, even if it's very, very difficult to see. Hope empowers us that way. And I believe hope is from God. Now, I want to tell you a story that I heard few years ago that I think has relevance to this passage, this message today. And it's about identical twins. These are two little boys that were identical in every way except for one thing. Their outlook on life, their personalities were a little bit different. Actually, very different. One was an eternal optimist. Everything that he saw in life was positive. He always saw the silver lining. Everything was always positive. His brother, the exact opposite. He was doom and gloom. Anything that came his way, he saw through an antagonistic, negative view. Everything was always downer. He was like an Eeyore. Okay? And his parents, as they were growing up, they saw that this was not going away. In fact, if it was becoming more solidified in their character, and they thought, we need to do something about this. So they took these boys to a doctor for an evaluation. And the doctor checked them over and ran a bunch of tests, and he said, I don't see anything wrong with either of these boys. Um, Maybe what you might want to try is this. On their next birthday, which is coming up fairly soon, I would like you to give the negative, the downer, the antagonistic boy... The pessimistic boy, give him a gift that is so grandiose, so amazing, that it just blows his mind. Okay? And for the optimist, what I would like for you to do is I would like for you to wrap up a box of manure. Wrap it up and give it to him for his birthday present. And let's see what happens. You, you give me a full report on how that plays out. Well, the parents were kind of, you know, concerned. They, they, they weren't sure if they wanted to do this experiment. They'd always been perfectly, perfectly equitable, perfectly fair with these boys, and this was kind of a deviation from that. 
But they thought, well, the doctor says, so let's, let's give it a try. So on their birthday, the downer, the antagonistic, the negative of the two receives his gift. He opens it up, and the first thing he says when he sees this amazing bike, it's like the bike of all bikes. It's a racing bike. It has all of the gadgets, all the bells, all the whistles. The most amazing bike any little boy would want. And the first thing out of his mouth is, you know what, I'm probably going to crash this thing and break my leg. (laughs) Then the optimist opens his gift. And for a moment, he stares in disbelief. He doesn't know what to say. And then all of a sudden, he jumps up, and with incredible enthusiasm, he runs around the house screaming, Wahoo! And his parents are like, what's going on here? And he says, I can't believe this. I am so excited. Anywhere where there's this much manure, there has to be a pony somewhere. Where's the pony? Where is the pony? So he's looking for the pony. Do you see what a little bit of hope and a little bit of optimism does to a person? Even if your lot in life is a box of manure, you can turn that into something positive, something optimistic. And I believe that's what God does through hope. God gives us hope through Jesus now, as we're thinking about this, I was looking up uh, sayings on hope, and I found this section that uh, John Maxwell had written about hope. And he says a few things about hope that I think are, are really cool. He says, hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope presses toward victory when no one is encouraging. Have you ever been there? Hope is what gets you through. There's power in hope. And with that in mind, I'd like for us to look at the scripture passage for today, which is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And I'll read this for you. This is one of the most popular passages when it comes to foretelling the coming of Christ. And I want you to to get the details here. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's defeat. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government. And peace there will be to no end. He will reign on David's throne And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What this passage is telling us is there is going to be a great and unexpected light that will come into the world in the midst of great darkness. 
Okay, now, in order to understand the context of this passage, we have to know when it was written and who it was written to. And the thing that we need to recognize is this passage was written 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. And it was a different world at that time. It was a different world for Israel. Israel was in exile at this point. They had gone through a long season of disobedience with God, and God allowed them to be conquered. And so they were in exile. They were were all over the place, dispersed, alone, vulnerable, weak, without a king, without a country. And what this passage says to them is, in spite of the fact that you were disobedient, in spite of the fact that you are right where you deserve to be, I'm not done with you yet. I am a God of hope. I am a God of justice. I am a God of grace. I am a God of reconciliation. I am a God of forgiveness. And I am not finished with you yet. I have plans for you. Now, of course, the Israelites were expecting a Savior. But, of course, they were expecting the kind of Savior that would come in power. Someone that would come and overthrow the physical oppressors of that day and liberate them in a physical sense. But what this passage is telling us is that God is going to enter the world in a very different way. He's going to come in weakness, and while he will liberate us from our oppression, it's not a physical oppression, it's the oppression of sin and death, which is far more important for you and I than any sort of liberation that might come in a physical sense. In verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's a gift. It's a simple gift. It's a gift. And with that gift, the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the source of all hope. He is the source of hope, and that hope comes in the form of a gift. God knew that this is the gift that we needed more than any other gift. And it covers us for our past, for our present, and our future. When I was in high school, my junior year in high school, my family every year would travel to a little lake town called Chelan in Washington State. It's a beautiful lake. We had a timeshare there. We had three weeks during the year. And one of the weeks that we had was the week following Christmas. So right after Christmas, that following day, we'd get up in the morning, we'd pile into the car, and we'd go to Chelan, and we'd stay there through New Year's. And it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of other families there. We'd always connect. It was a really terrific experience. But my junior year in high school... I was on the basketball team, and my basketball coach wanted our team to practice every day throughout the holiday so that we'd be ready for games in the new year. 
And so for the first time, I wasn't able to go. And my parents allowed me to stay home by myself for the first time. 17 years old, home alone, first time. My parents gave me the speech. Okay, before they left, the car is all packed up. Everybody's ready to go. My sisters are buckled into the seat. My mom and dad come up to the house. They say, Jamie, because that was my nickname when I was a kid, do not have anyone over to the house. Do not have a party. Do not have anyone sleep over. Do you understand? And I said, yes, yes, and I intended not to. A few days later, my friends caught wind of the fact that my house was empty, that my parents were away, and so a few of them said, hey, could we come over to your place and watch some movies? And I thought, you know, what, what harm would it be to have a few friends over just to watch some movies? So I said, yeah, why not? You know, come over, but we got to be careful. We've got to make sure that we clean up the place really well, because my parents told, us, you know, told me very clearly that shouldn't have anybody over. Oh, no problem. We'll help you clean up. So they came over. But what they didn't tell me is that they invited the rest of my school. <laughs> so by about 11 o'clock, there were 200 people in my home. Okay? 200 people drinking beer, crashing around, I mean, thrashing the place. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I am going to be killed by my parents when they get home. Uh, and to make matters worse, it had snowed the night before, so there were about three or four inches of snow, and there were so many people trying to get to the house, people were parking on the lawn. Okay, so there were tire tracks all over the yard leading right up to the front door. And so again, as I looked out, I thought, I am so dead, dead. The following morning, I think my Friends who were sleeping on the floor in the living room and other places in the house felt kind of sorry for me, and they said, we will help you clean this place up. And so for the next several hours, we cleaned that house top to bottom. We even went out and got a carpet cleaner and cleaned the carpets. That place looked better than it had ever, ever looked before. And I was beginning to think, wow, if it weren't for the tracks in the yard, I think I could pull this off. And then, by the grace of God, or not, it snowed 15 inches that night. So I got up the next morning, and I was like, thank you, God. There wasn't a single tire track in the yard. And I'm thinking, I'm going to pull this off. My parents came home a few, days ago, a, few, a few days later, and my dad looked around, and he said, wow, you, you cleaned the entire house. And I said, well, of course, Dad, what would, you know, what, what would you expect? I mean, and my mom was like, you cleaned the house? <laughs> you never even pick up your room or make your bed. I thought I had pulled it off. I was thinking, 200 kids in my house, and somehow nobody found out about this. This is so good. I guess I just didn't want to face the consequences, so I just went along with the lie, Okay. First week of January, my dad takes down the Christmas tree. And my house of cards came crashing down at that point because apparently during the party, people were throwing bottle caps into the tree the entire night. 
So as my dad was shaking the tree out, hundreds of bottle caps were falling out onto the floor. Suddenly, my dad said, do you want to tell me something? So I confessed, and I could see the look on my dad's face in that moment. I could see his disappointment, because while I had lied to him before, like all kids do, I had never blatantly, intentionally lied to him in such an outright manner. And I could see that his hurt wasn't so much that I had a party and thrashed the house. It was that I had lied to him. I had broken his trust. And I felt terrible about it. And everything in me wanted to go back in time and do things a little bit differently. But you know how that works? You can't, right? When you do something that you regret, you can't go back in time to fix it. And sin is kind of like that, isn't it? Sin separates us from God, and it separates us from the people that we love the most. And there are times when you're wallowing in that, when you think, this is going to carry with me for the rest of my life. There is nothing that I can do to redeem this. But God sent Jesus in the form of hope to be our Redeemer. To fix the broken things. And isn't it interesting that the way God fixes things is they're actually better than they were before. He creates something new, something even more beautiful out of the ashes. In 1 Peter Peter 1.3, it says, Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is so good, and by raising Jesus from death, he has given us new life, a hope that lives on. A hope that lives on. You know what, if if I think about it, and I've talked with many of you, we all have secrets. We all have areas of our lives that we wish we could kind of blot out, that never happened. And, uh, you know, we feel poorly about it. Bad choices. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we don't feel as though we've been liberated from those things. And I think the enemy wants to remind us of those things, even though what we learn about Christ is that we are completely liberated. So we can stand in confidence, even in the midst of our brokenness. In fact, in Psalm 103.12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? If you're looking at a globe, as far as the east is from the west, the two points intersect, which means there's nothing left to be judged. We remember our brokenness. We remember our sin. But when God thinks about us and our past because of forgiveness, he's blotted that out. He remembers nothing. He chooses to remember nothing. He gives us a fresh start. A mulligan, a brand new start without any blemish. And because of that, we have hope for the past and we have hope for the present. In Acts 2, 26, it says, Because of this, my heart will be glad, my words will be joyful, and I will live in hope. What does it look like to live in hope? 
It means we can look back and see our brokenness and we can say, that has no authority over me anymore. It has no control over me anymore because I am free because of what Christ has done for me. I can stand in confidence. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Do you feel like you're a new creation? Do you know that you're a new creation? The enemy wants to tell us that we're not, that we're the same as always. But that's just a lie. You are a new creation in Christ. When God says something, when God promises something, he always follows through. It's always the truth, and it can never be taken from us. Essentially, what this is telling us is that Jesus will take away our past. He will set us free from all the things that haunt us in the present. And he will allow us to live victoriously now and into the future. Thousands of things in this world try to control us. Each day, our schedule, our emotions, our past, our circumstances, our struggles, our sin. Think about those things that try and beat us down and oppress us in a spiritual sense. But Jesus is the true meaning of Christmas. And he brings liberation to all of that. But before we find this simple gift, we have to look at the world differently. Right? Before Christ, we see the world kind of like the boy who saw the world through doom and gloom eyes. Everything seems broken and there seems to be no hope. But in Christ, we can be like the other brother, the optimist. We can see hope. We have a future. You know, there's an interesting map on display at the British Museum in London. And I don't know if you've ever seen really, really old-fashioned maps that kind of chart out what the world looked like when they were first exploring. Have you ever seen those? You can kind of make out the shape of the countries, but they're a little bit distorted because they're kind of doing the best they can with the tools they have at that time. Well, there was a map like this drawn in 1525. And it was outlining... Uh, the North American coastline and the adjacent waters. And the cartographer uh, made an interesting notation in the areas that had not yet been explored. There were some sections on the map that hadn't been explored yet. And because of that, he wrote, Here lies fiery scorpions. Here be dangers. Dragons. Here be giants. And they're all in the places that had not yet been explored. Well, a few hundred years later, this same map came into the hands of Sir John Franklin, who was a British explorer in the 1800s. By then, most of that area had been explored. And so he scratched out all those inscriptions that had been written back in 1525, and he replaced it with, here is God. Here is God. What he saw was the beauty and the magnificence of God in those places. And we thought, or they thought back then, the unknown couldn't be anything but dangerous. But in Christ, there is no danger. God gives us a hope for redeeming our past. He gives us power and authority in the present. And he gives us a very, very bright future. 
In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. A hope and a future. Now, even if we find ourselves in a tough situation now, and our lives seem to be crumbling around us, this passage of Scripture is still true. God has a hope and a future intended for you. And do you know that even if our lives never really come together, and we go through life and, that, and we look at our lives and we say, you know, by the world standard, I was a failure. Didn't really accomplish much. Didn't really do that much. Don't feel very good about my accomplishments. Not much of a legacy. If we are aligned with Christ, we're still good. Because do you know that we were made to last forever? And this life is only a drop in the bucket. Only a drop in the bucket. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Spiritual beings having a human experience. And there is so much more ahead of us than is behind us. That if, if we are in Christ, we don't have to worry about the brokenness of this world. We really don't because it's so insignificant. And the future in Christ gets better and better and better as we go. C.S. Lewis describes this in his book, The Last Battle, better than anyone I've ever seen before. And I'd like to read just this little section of The Last Battle because he's trying to paint a picture of what this might look like. And this is what he says. And, and soon they found themselves all walking together, and a great bright procession it was, up toward the mountains, higher than you could see in this world, even if they were there to be seen. But there was no snow on those mountains. There were forests and green slopes and sweet orchards and flashing waterfalls, one above the other, going up and forward. And the land they were walking on grew narrower and narrower all the time, with a deep valley on each side. And across the valley, the land, which was the real England, grew nearer and nearer. The light ahead was growing stronger. Lucy saw a great series of many-colored cliffs led up in front of them like a giant staircase. And then she forgot everything else because Aslan himself was coming, leaping down from cliff to cliff like a living cataract of power and beauty. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily after but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were coming into chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the chapter before. Isn't that amazing? My guess is that there are people here in this room today that have never 
received the gift of hope in Jesus. And so you're looking at this life as if it's all there is. And you may be very disappointed in the results thus far. But what I'm telling you is that the gift that God has given us is a gift that lasts for all eternity. And he's reaching out and saying, take it. It's the greatest gift that you will ever receive. And it's available to you regardless of what you've done. No matter what your past looks like, I have a future for you that is so bright it's going to blow your mind. You can't even write about it. You can't even imagine it. It's that good. And every chapter will be better than the chapter before. It's available to you now. But the, the thing that's interesting about receiving a gift like that is that we have to humble ourselves. We have to reach a point where we recognize we need the gift. And for some of us, we're looking at our lives and we're saying, you know what, I'm pretty good on my own. I can handle this. I've got this. Yes, life is tough, but I've got this. But let me, let me illustrate it this way. Imagine if a friend of you came, a friend came to you and said, I have a gift for you for Christmas. I have a gift for you. And here it is. And you take it and you open it up and it's a book and it says, dieting, how to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. Now, right away, you look at this book and you say, thank you. But you're kind of reading between the lines, right? You're saying, does my friend think I'm fat? Right? Is that, what, is that what my friend is saying? And then they say, oh, hold on, I have another gift for you. And you say, oh, great. Right? And they give you another package, and you open that up, and it's Dale Carnegie's old book, How to Make Friends or Win Friends and Influence People. And, and you read that, and again, you're reading between the lines, and you think, okay, so you think I'm both fat and obnoxious. Right? <laughs> But I know you're my good friend, and so maybe I am fat and obnoxious, and you're wanting to lead me through this to a better place. Okay, if you really believe that your friend is your friend, you have to admit some things about yourself that you don't really want to admit in order to appreciate and find joy in that gift, right? Experiencing the gift that God is extending to you in Jesus requires even more humility than that. We have to recognize and admit that we are so deprived, we can't even begin to imagine how deprived we are, how sinful we are, how broken we are. And when we do, God says, I've got you. I am not finished with you yet. I've got plans for you that are so much brighter than anything that you've experienced or even hoped for. So my question to you today is this. In the frenzy of this season, this holiday season, where we can lose sight of the true meaning of Christmas, are you willing to receive the gift that God has for you? Because he wants more than anything to give it to you. And you know what? The greatness of God has to do with his willingness to step down out of heaven, to humble himself and become nothing so that he could give us that gift. And our greatness comes when we follow him and do the same. When we humble ourselves and follow in his footsteps, we can then receive that gift and then we too become great like him. We become like him. 
And when we do, we can own this passage from the last battle. We can be part of that great story which no one on earth has ever read. That story that goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the chapter before. And it comes with acknowledging this part of this passage from today. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That gift is for you. And I hope that wherever you are in this Christmas season, that you will simply reach out and accept it as your own. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. It almost sounds trite to even say that prayer. Thank you for your love for us. Because your love is so profound and so pronounced that we can't even get our arms around it. We can't get our mind around it. We can't even imagine the depth of that kind of love, and yet you've made it available to us in the hope that comes through Jesus. Lord, if we're holding out and we haven't received that gift of yet, as of yet, I pray that we would be inspired today to humble ourselves and say, that gift belongs to me. If it's available, I want it. In Jesus' name, amen.